This is the Africa service of Vatican Radio. Welcome to our half-hour daily program for Africa. In this edition today, our Bulletin of Church News to be followed by Panorama and then our feature of development and the economy. Today we shall close with a gospel reflection by Father Enobong Udiaidong. My name is Kenyan Pamba. The appointments of the Holy Father on Friday included an audience with the Archbishop of Chicago in the United States of America, Cardinal Blaise Joseph Kupisch, the Bishop of Augsburg in Germany, Monsignor Bertram Johannes Mayer, and the Bishops of Turkey who are at the Vatican for the tradition of five yearly ad limina visit to the Vatican. Also on Friday, Pope Francis welcomed to the Vatican a group of pilgrims from Argentina. This is a group of the faithful who came for the canonization of the Blessed Maria Antonia of St. Joseph of Figueroa. Let us remember that the path of holiness implies trust and abandonment, for when Blessed Maria Antonia arrived in Buenos Aires, she did so with only a crucifix and barefoot, because she had not placed her security in herself but in God, trusting that her adverse apostolate was his work, the words of Pope Francis when he addressed the Argentinian faithful when he received them at the Vatican. Pope Francis on Friday expressed his condolences for the tragic loss of former president of Chile, Sebastian Piñera, who died on 6th February at the age of 74 in a helicopter accident. In a telegram signed by the Vatican's Secretary of State, Cardinal Pietro Parolin, and addressed to Chile's President Gabriel Boric, the Holy Father said he was praying for the eternal repose of the former head of state, the late president who led the country between 2010 and 2014 and 2018 and 2022, died when flying his ultralight helicopter with three other people. The aircraft is believed to have crashed due to bad weather into Lake Ranco in the Los Rios region in the south of the country. The Pope said he recalled the president who had led the country as a man of faith, of great intellect and of sincere passion for Chilean political life. He expressed his closeness to the former head of state's family and all those who mourn his loss. The bishops of Southern Africa are urging the faith of South Africa to use their right to vote and cast their votes in the upcoming 2024 general elections. The bishops' appeal follows their 23rd to the 30th January 2024 plenary assembly that took place under the theme Synodality at Kenya House in Pretoria. The Southern African Bishops' Conference is composed of the Catholic bishops of South Africa, Botswana and Eswatini. Their pastoral letter was released in the lead-up to the national and provincial elections, as we hear in the following report by Festus Tarawalie. In a pastoral letter, the Southern African Catholic Bishops' Conference invites Catholics not to take for granted their having maintained the democratic right to go to the polls and choose their leaders. The bishops acknowledge the difficult time of apartheid 
and the transition to a constitutional democracy, yet they add, we as a people have the God-given right to rise from the ashes, overcome insurmountable crises and find new paths. South Africa's bishops also expressed gratitude for the work of the Independent Electoral Commission and numerous others who have made great strides to prevent violence around election time. We strongly appeal to all eligible voters, said the bishops, to go out and vote and send a message to incoming parliamentarians. Nobody should remain at home, they add. The bishops also requested that all parishes and communities recite a 2024 election prayer every Sunday. They encouraged believers to vote according to their experience and conscience and stressed that lay faithful have an indispensable role in building a better world where there is justice, peace and non-violence. Holding free, fair and peaceful elections, they insisted, requires prayer. The South African bishops concluded by thanking God for the right to determine the outcome of the elections. May the Holy Spirit, they said, continue to heal what is broken in our hearts, families and nation as we respond to God's call to build a more just and humane, a more united and peaceful South Africa. I am Festus Tarawali. The United Nations World Food Programme says that the situation in Sudan is proving to be one of the largest displacements in the world that may result into a humanitarian crisis unfolding right in the eyes of the international community. Brenda Kariuki is the World Food Programme's Senior Regional Communications Officer for Eastern Africa. So the crisis in Sudan is actually one of the largest displacement crises in the world and we are really worried that a humanitarian crisis is unfolding right in front of our eyes with the potential of spiraling further out of control. People are hungry. People have no food. They have barely any access to health care as three quarters of the health facilities are damaged by the conflict. And some of the statistics are really jarring and heartbreaking. If you think about it, in Sudan alone, inside the country, 10 million people have been uprooted from their homes. Some of them more than once. Some fled from Khartoum onto Gezira State and now have fled again. There are over 1.5 million people who have left the country into Chad, Egypt, South Sudan, Ethiopia, Central African Republic. We estimate that at least 19 million children are not in school. And 18 million are facing serious food insecurity. Do you think that people feel forgotten as other conflicts overshadow a dire humanitarian crisis? Absolutely. The people of Sudan are feeling forgotten. Not just those displaced inside the country, but those who have also had to flee the country to seek refuge in neighboring countries. For WFP, though, the people of Sudan, South Sudan and Chad may be invisible to the world, but they're not forgotten for us because... We need to have strong voices like those of Pope Francis when he reminds the world often about forgotten crises like the one in Sudan. I think the fact that other parts of the world have similar or worse conflicts doesn't mean that the Sudan crisis has been resolved or has gone away. So it is important to remain on the media and in the international agenda for Sudan to be a crisis that is not forgotten. You are tuned to the Daily Africa service of Vatican Radio. African News Panorama. 
South Africa's Minister for Foreign Affairs Naledi Pandol has told reporters in Pretoria that she is being intimidated by Israeli intelligence in connection with her country's decision to take the Israeli government to the International Court of Justice over the atrocities it is committing against the Palestinians in the Gaza Strip. The court ordered Israel last month to take steps to prevent genocide against Palestinians in Gaza and give a report within a month. Minister Pandol said she had received threatening messages and was under attack by Israeli secret agents on the social media. South African police said on Friday that they had beefed up her security. She said South Africa was determined to go ahead with the case. Since October last year, Israel has been attacking Gaza in retaliation for attacks carried out by Palestinian Hamas militants who killed 1,200 people and took over 200 others hostage. Since then, over 25,000 Palestinians, majority of them women, children, and the elderly have been killed by the Israeli army and many more wounded. Hundreds of thousands have been forced to flee Gaza after their homes were destroyed in the fighting. The government of Malawi has announced the removal of visa restrictions for travelers from 79 countries. An official of the Ministry for Internal Affairs said on Friday that the purpose is to boost tourism and trade in Malawi. Citizens who will benefit from this include nationals of Britain, China, Russia, Belgium, Ghana, the Gambia, Sierra Leone, and France, as well as nationals from the Southern African Development Community, SADC, and from the Common Market for Eastern and Southern Africa, COMESA. Reports from Tunisia say 13 Sudanese migrants died on Thursday and 27 others are still missing after the boat they were traveling in on the Mediterranean Sea to Europe sank off Tunisia's coast. The boat belonged to human traffickers resident in the small town of Jebiniana. The number of Sudan nationals attempting to reach Europe has sharply increased following the outbreak of war in April last year between the National Army and rebels of the paramilitary rapid support forces. The Commission of the Economic Community of West African States, ECOWAS, convened on Thursday in Abuja, Nigeria, for an extraordinary session to discuss the decision of Mali, Burkina Faso, and Niger to leave the community. The military governments of the three countries announced on January 28th that they would withdraw from ECOWAS without delay. The stated reasons for leaving the community were that it was influenced by foreign powers against them and opposition to the sanctions imposed against the three countries after the overthrow of civilian governments. You are tuned to the English Africa service of Vatican Radio. This is Development and Economy, and you are welcome to the program. My name is Kanyanta Godfrey Kampamba. The United Nations Sustainable Development Goals take into account the economic, social, and environmental challenges of our world in relation to the sexual and reproductive health and rights of girls and women. The Sustainable Development Goals provide a platform for the enhancement of the sexual and reproductive health and rights of adolescents and women, especially in Africa. 
The Sustainable Development Goals actually promise to eliminate gender disparities in the education sector with a view of ensuring equal access at all levels, but especially for the vulnerable girls and women on the African continent. The Sustainable Development Goals, therefore, help to ensure health lives and well-being for all through universal access to sexual and reproductive health care services. They also help to foster the integration of reproductive health into national strategies and programs. But sadly, a few years down the line, most African countries have not demonstrated sufficient commitment and political will towards the realization of these noble goals. The reproductive and sexual health of concerned girls and women in Africa have been deliberately downgraded for several decades to the point that they cannot be redeemed by the Sustainable Development Goals. Ashley Jude is a writer, actor, and acclaimed United Nations Goodwill Ambassador for Reproductive Health. She is well known for being fiercely committed to issues of social justice. Over the years, Ashley has actually come to believe that the sexual and reproductive health of girls and women needs to be at the heart of poverty eradication and sustainable development. Her signature statement is that none of us are free until all of us are free. She was one of the delegates at the 2023 United Nations General Assembly. And a couple of weeks ago, Ashley sat down with Pauline Batista from the United Nations News and told her that amidst so much suffering around the world, young people must find their voice, access it and use it. This way, she says, young people will help to live the promises of the Sustainable Development Goals regarding the elimination of gender disparities in the education sector. She also says that this will ensure equal access at all levels, particularly for the vulnerable girls and women in Africa. So why do I give a damn about girls and women? You know, a man molested me for the first time that I remember when I was seven years old, and he felt entitled to my little body. And I say remember because I was then attacked by a man in a store when I had on my green and gold cheerleading uniform in the eighth grade, and who knows for what nefarious purpose. But I don't remember that, even though he is still a registered sex offender in Tennessee. So this is personal for me. And, you know, feminism has taught me that the personal is political. And I find purpose and meaning in standing up for girls and women and disrupting male entitlement to female bodies because none of us are free until all of us are free. As we talk about reproductive rights and women's rights, there's a lot of focus on SDG5. How do we convince folks that this is really a holistic um, situation that we need to be thinking about all SDGs together to provide women with better conditions? Well, I really appreciate the question about SDG 5 and how it inheres in the success of all the other sustainable development goals. Because if we want to alleviate poverty, if we want to access education, if we want to respond to climate crisis, if we want to take a look at life on land and in the water, we have to let women plan and space the births of their children and have meaningful input as to how many children they have in the first place. Because a woman's body that is broken by so many repetitive pregnancies, which are unintended in the developing world, 257 million women do not have access to family planning. And that's a lot of women. It's a quarter of a billion women. And so how can we unleash our potential as a species if half of the population isn't 
entitled to its equality. So the SDG 5, and in particular 5.61, are really important to me because girls and women's sexual and reproductive health is the basic building block. It's the DNA of a thriving population. So thinking about equity in the workplace, what are some of those best practices that you've seen traveling across so many different countries that we can provide folks with? So in talking about equity in the workplace, first we have to talk about men's behavior because this is the up with which we can no longer put, and it is the whence from which the need for equity comes. And so first and foremost, men need to be incentivized and understood and supported as they change their behavior. And there are evidence-based programs that help do this, you know, how to turn a bystander into a disruptor and an upstander. And, you know, educating men about norms and, 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 and women's bodily autonomy and integrity and boundaries and personal space. So there's that, right? And then also I think there's such a thing as institutional cult, uh, courage because so often we've experienced institutional betrayal where a woman does experience sexual harassment in the workplace. She reports and then she's shut down. She's fired like a friend of mine just recently in Franklin, Tennessee, you know, retaliated against, asked to, asked to write, to, to sign a non-disclosure agreement, which really protects the perpetrator. And so what we need instead is this institutional courage where the systems respond appropriately and have the decency to understand that there's no place for male aggression in the workplace, that we constrain our bottom line when we allow it to proliferate, and, um, you know, support girls and women in ways that are responsive to their need to be heard, witnessed, validated, and make sure that they are instated as full employees in every workplace. Excellent. Thank you so much. So it's been over 20 countries, a lot of traveling. And what are some of the regions that have been suffering the most? I know it sounds like um, folks already know, <laughs> but it's, it's always important to highlight and to bring, you know, to really bring that to light and to have this conversation. You know, human suffering is human suffering, and it's not a contest or a competition amongst those who are experiencing the unendurable. And what I think does happen in, in our climate and in the, you know, m- outrage media industrial complex is that we focus on a couple of places and forget that people in Mali, that people in Syria, that people in Yemen, that people in Mexico and Colombia, that people in Nigeria, of course, throughout the, the Democratic Republic of Congo, particularly in the East, are still suffering with unrest, with insurgency, with, with conflict. And that all of these lives are precious and matter. And so I'm really quite egalitarian when it comes to talking about suffering. You know, and UNFPA has trusted me to travel a lot. And, you know, there are 150 countries around the world. I don't know if I can make all of them, but I'll certainly do my best wherever I'm welcomed. Excellent. So what should um, decision makers be focusing on as we think about the next seven years based on our 2030 goals? I think decision makers really do need to be focused on the reproductive health of girls and women, and knowing that whether it's pressure on the climate, because folks can't plan and space the births of their children and decide how many children to have, whether it's women not being educated because they're in these back-breaking cycles of pregnancies, or they can't participate in the informal economy because they're struggling to care for all the children they already have, many of whom may be sick and, and don't have access to appropriate health care, that this is the essential building block of sustainable development reproductive health, and knowing that girls and women have the right to reproductive justice as well and to be free from male sexual violence. 
Could you please leave us a message of encouragement when we think about the younger generations of women today? So I love visiting with young people, and I love it when folks approach me and we have the chance to interact and share a little bit of our experience, strength, and hope. And my message to young people is know that you have a voice, access it, and use it. You know, whether you speak up when you're walking down the street and you are experiencing sexual harassment on the street or in the workplace or in your communities, at the kitchen table, in public transportation, in the bedroom. Find and use your voice and have female alliances around you so that when you do experience that pushback or a little bit of that retaliation or that, ah, you know, who does this? She's uppity. You have other women around you to encourage and bolster you so that you can maintain the courage of using your voice. Writer, act, and acclaimed United Nations Goodwill Ambassador for Reproductive Health, Ashley Jude, speaking with Pauline Batista from the United Nations News about the importance of paying attention to issues of reproductive health and thus helping young people to be proactive and find their voice, access it, and use it in spite of so much suffering around the world and Africa in particular. And that is all we have time for in this edition of Development and the Economy. Until next week, at the same time, my name is Kanyan Tagodifri Kampamba. Coming up next, a reflection on this Sunday's readings, prepared and presented by Father Enobong Udaidiong. <laughs> Last Sunday in the Gospel reading, Jesus healed the mother-in-law of Peter and many other sick people who were brought to him. This Sunday, the Gospel narrative continues with the healing of the leper who came to Jesus. He said to Jesus, If you will, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him and he was made clean. Oh, what a beautiful moment it was to be touched by Jesus, even though he was a leper and unclean. By the law, the leper was not to have any contact with other people. He was to be kept outside the community, and whenever he is passing, he should cry, unclean, unclean, so that clean people will avoid him. How painful it can be to be abandoned and to be cast away from the family, loved ones and the community because of sickness. The pain of staying away in a lonely habitat for the period the sickness lasted could be so unbearable that the leper decided to go and seek help from the Lord. He must have heard all the signs and wonders performed by Jesus and so he took a leap of faith standing before the Lord in humility, he asked for help. His was a request made in faith because he knew that Jesus had the power to heal him. He also knew that Jesus could redefine his status in the community of persons. Therefore, he did not allow his state as a leper to deter him from approaching Jesus. Jesus Christ, in his characteristic way, could not ignore this humble leper who demonstrated the faith he had in him. Leprosy in biblical language is often equated with the state of living in sin. Sin alienates us from God and from the community of the faithful 
because of sin, we can no longer participate in the community life of the people of God. But in Christ Jesus, there is hope of redemption. He is always full of mercy and love for the sinner, just as he did for the leper. Having heard the leper confess, he had pity on him and healed him. By touching the unclean man, the unblemished one took his faults, his sickness, upon himself. He replicated this act again on the cross by taking upon himself our sins. He, though without sin, accepted our faults so that we might be blameless. Christ came to reinstate us in the community of God's people. He paid the price of our ransom with his own blood. Therefore, we can confidently say there is no outcast in Christ Jesus. We are all heirs with him to the promise of eternal life. What do we do when we fall short of the glory of God? Do we think our state is so bad that there is no redemption? Having heard what the leper did, what will you we do in our state? Will we go to Jesus and be saved or remain in sin? We should realize that it was the leper that went in search of Jesus Christ. It is the sick that needs a doctor. When we realize that the life we are living cuts us off from the people we love and from God, what do we do? Let us remember the door of mercy is always open to the repentant sinner who comes in humility seeking God's mercy. Jesus is not afraid to associate or touch the unclean. Unworthy as we are, we have not lost our identity as God's children. In Christ Jesus, we can reclaim our heritage. He made himself the guilty one so that we can be liberated. We cannot repay this gesture of love with ingratitude. In appreciation of God's love in our life, we are expected to contribute to the glory of God and the good of all by letting our society feel the impact of our salvation in Christ. Tell abroad the love of God, put forth his works, and let the earth resound with his praise. This is our mission. May the message of Christ in all his richness continue to find a home in our hearts. Through the same Christ, our Lord. Amen. Peace be with you. This is the Africa service of Vatican Radio. Praised be Jesus Christ. Laudetu Jesus Christus.